Blurred up, blurred up. Welcome to the show where we talk about nerd culture from a BPOV, a black POV. I'm your host, Brendan, along with my man, DK. Hey, what's up? And coming back from the E3 discussion. What's up, Blaze? Blaze in the house again. And today we're going to talk about Luke Cage Season 2. We're going to give our general thoughts and then we're going to go into spoilers. And we'll let you know when that happens, so don't worry about it. Just to give you all some context of where we stand going into this, I want everyone to give their impressions and thoughts on Luke Cage Season 1. I'll go first. I liked Season 1. Obviously, everyone knows that the show went downhill when Cottonmouth died. But contrary to a lot of people, I actually liked Diamondback. I feel like he was the other side of the coin in regards to black exploitation villains, whereas Cottonmouth was the charismatic and cool villain. Diamondback was that mustache twirling villainy. If I were to rank the Marvel shows right now, my number one would still be Jessica Jones season one, followed by The Punisher, number three, Daredevil season two. Number four, Daredevil season one, and then Luke Cage season two. I'm not 100% sure where I'd rate my Netflix shows at the moment. It's a little bit difficult because I've got a few that are very tight and then a few that are a little bit <clears throat> further down the way. But going back to Luke Cage season one, like I have to agree, Eric. I really enjoyed what they did, what they brought to the table with that show. And then I did feel like the after Connor Mouth died, that was where the show really did took a dip. I was the same way. Like, I didn't mind Diamondback too much, but it was just kind of the way that he was played and the way the storyline kind of played out. Kind of felt like he just wasn't enough to carry the show forward. But Luke Cage season two, you know, I felt that really made up for a lot of the things that were wrong with season one. And, you know, especially with Netflix shows having their X amount of episodes I've got to go through as well. I felt that season two did a lot better of filling out those episodes than what season one did. So season one, I'm going to maybe stand out from the other people in this group. Um, I I feel like I was loving it uh, during the Cottonmouth era of the, of the first season. And during the Diamondback era, I kind of like, it was almost unbearable for me to watch. Um, Brandon says, you know, this is the throwback to the black exploitation. Uh, and as I said before, maybe in the first podcast, I don't really have the nostalgia when it comes to, you know, some of the older stuff. I feel like we can do better. And so we should do better. I feel like he was not really what I was looking for in, 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 a, in a kind of television programming thing. Uh, and I really um, felt disappointed by the end of uh, the first season of Luke Cage that's just how i feel about it right now it's all good. it's all good so hopefully that could make for some interesting discussion going forward so let's get into our general thoughts of season two without spoiling anything let's talk about the things that we liked first so for me i think mike coulter was at his best there were a number of scenes where I felt the emotion better than I did with Jessica Jones and the Defenders. I think the supporting cast is still the best of all the Marvel TV shows. Uh, the showrunner, what's his name? 
Chio Chio Corker. Corker? Chio Corker, I believe. He really has made Harlem a real living, breathing, dynamic place. I thought the titles for the shows, the ones honoring Pete Rock and Seal Smooth, were well used. And we'll go into some of those a little later in the spoiler talk. The villains. I thought Mariah, she's not, she's no cottonmouth, but I thought her anxieties, her fears, her motivations were interesting and heartbreaking at times. I really enjoyed her. It was hard to guess where she was going to take things and how far she was going to take things. Bushmaster was obviously very physically intimidating, but again, his motivations were also understandable. But as it went on, things got a bit comic booky. The music was wonderful. Again, the score was done by Ali Shaheed Muhammad of A Tribe Called Quest and Adrian Young. I didn't realize that Adrian Young did the Black Dynamite uh, score. Oh, that's right. So he was perfect here. Um, even the the featured guests, which we'll get into a little bit later, were also very dope. I mean, I had to find, I have to, I have to agree as well. Like this music alone is almost worth watching the show for. The music was just. That's what I really like about like the Luke Cage, both season one and season two. Like they really do focus a lot on making, like taking like those music, like musical tracks, those songs, and working them in really, really well with the film. I mean, their music budget must have been massive to like try to try and sign off on some of those tracks, but they did it and they just made it work and they made it work really, really well. Um, the story as well and like the show in general, I thought really stepped up on season season two really stepped up over season one i felt they managed to get their pacing a lot better than from what happened in season one they managed to step up without going too sporty like the action scenes were you know they i mean they kind of showed that a little bit in the trailers as well like that they weren't gonna hold back as much on the action so there was a little bit more in there which was good to see as well i mean luke cage he is the unbreakable man we do want to see that and we want to see just what he is capable of. And I think they managed to, you know, explore that a little bit more in the show as well, which was pretty good to see. Um, as you were saying, the villains, I thought the villains were really, really sort of well thought out. Like they had, I mean, there's a few little funny tidbits in here and there, but I thought overall, like they, the villains and the supporting cast as well, like they got much more flushed out than what they did in season one. And overall, I think that was pretty good. I have to agree with most of the people here that uh, as far as the music goes, the uh, titles, uh, everything lined up really well. Uh, the, they did a really good job of just building uh, kind of this atmosphere through the, the performers at uh, Harlem's Paradise and everything else like that. Um, I thought the, the, the villains were amazing and, and everyone's been talking about like there's been some moments of cartoonishness, but uh, overall I feel like they were kind of rounder and I think that it was almost a demand post Black Panther and some of the other like programs that we've seen where we start to have a different, uh, slightly different viewpoint of it not just being this kind of black and white, but all of these kind of shades of gray with the villains and everything. So um, I was very impressed with that. Okay, good. That's actually a good point you bring up about the the villains being much more, you're not quite sure what their motivations are and whether their motivations sticks to the good or sticks to the bad. You know, it's kind of a bit of both. And when, especially in like Luke Cage season two as well, they really did manage to flush out some of the reasonings behind just exactly what they did. 
and yeah, harkening back to Black Panther, of course, you know, the main villain in that, a lot of us feel like, well, he did have justification for it, and it's nice to sort of see that coming forward. Yeah, it's not to to say that anybody was that they were right for doing what they did, but it's like Chris Rock said a while ago. I ain't saying he should have did it, but I understand exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's a a little bit justifiable. Sure. You know, and and where you can look at that person and be like, oh, you can kind of shrug your shoulders and be like, all right, well, all right, I see you. I mean, it's the same. You know, the same thing is like I think the Marvel villains themselves. You know, from the throwback to the like the very very first you know couple of Marvel season not season, sorry, like the first uh, phase, phase of the Marvel Universe, like the villains were, you know, a little bit more one-dimensional, but now that they've gone forward, those villains have really shown, you know, a lot a lot more depth and a lot more, you know, not just your run-of-the-mill comic book villain. And I think that, you know, we'll probably might talk briefly about this as well, but I think that's also something to do with the way Marvel Studios has actually been moving forward, especially after the person who I do not like to name was booted from interfering with um, studio-level decisions when it comes to making Marvel properties, and Kevin Feige was basically given full quality control. And I think after that sort of midpoint, we've seen a lot better, more in-depth, coming out from the Marvel Universe. Let's go into some things that we did not care for so much. For me, I think the amount of drama and plot twist in this show may be polarizing for some after a point it felt like things just kept coming it was a almost a cascade of plot twist and i enjoyed it i enjoyed it but i can see people not digging that so much you said the fight scenes were good and some scenes were but i felt by the end of the show it got a little repetitive how many times are you going to have a bunch of dudes shoot luke cage with bullets and try to punch him or hit him with axes or bats or whatever i mean everyone knows who this person is they've seen the videos he's on he's pretty much on world star and in the news everyone knows who this person is in the first episode i mean the first scene the bad guys are like we gotta look like we tried and that i get that for the first scene that made sense but then after fight scene number five or six it's like ah, okay i wasn't engaged as much i would just jump in right here um, I don't know if you guys you guys know about the audio description feature on Netflix. No. It's a separate audio track that just describes everything that's happening when people aren't talking. During the fight scenes, I, just, I mean, I use the audio description and I don't even look at the screen. I just turn away and do something else. And uh, while I turn away and look something else, it's like, and, and you know, the, the tall man punches the other guy in the throat, you know, and everything like that. And that's how it just <laughs> describes the scene. I don't even pay attention to the fight scenes anymore to be honest it's a neat feature you know i've used it for a lot of other films so that i can work with a movie or something going on in the background but like when it comes to fight scenes and like it's just too chaotic and i'm just like i'm not into it i mean i have to agree with that point though like there's it was good that they did put more action into it like you know I, i we wanted to see that but it really was the same action going the whole way through yeah there was some variety in who luke was with when these fight scenes went on, but overall I thought it was repetitive. Lastly, the music was great, but I felt like sometimes it was a bit distracting from the narrative. Some songs, they would let them play on for minutes, and sometimes those scenes would help set the mood for what was happening with the other characters, but other times I felt like they were sometimes just overblown music videos or just promotion for these people, which they need, and which you know they deserve but i feel like 
the balance could have been better with that. And lastly, oh, I'm sorry. I said lastly, but this is the last one. I feel like at the end, some villain motivations were a bit hard to understand. We'll get into that with the spoilers. Yeah, I was thinking like with my... With the things I didn't, you know, so much like about it, it does sort of delve quite a bit into spoiler-ishy territory. So it's a little bit difficult not to go there without... Before we go and jump into spoilers. But yeah, a lot of the things as well. It was like the villain motivation... And just sort of where the show ended up as well, and the sort of the way it got there was a little bit, yeah, so-so about. But yeah, I think I'll save the rest of mine for once we get into spoilers. Um, if I had anything to add, um, I would just say um, at some point I had to kind of, you know, when they, when they would continually make, you know, coffee references and everything like that, all the women making coffee references and everything. I was like, okay, we get it. You know, um, uh, there's one in particular that I'll talk about when it comes to spoilers or whatever else. But I thought that that was just kind of like, it the was too much fan gag. service. It was too much like, oh, people like that. So we're just going to put like double the amount of that in the, in the second season or something. Yeah, it really was just a running gag throughout. It can sometimes be a bit dry yeah. by the end of it. So overall, do you all recommend this show to people to watch? I mean, if you're any kind of fan of the Marvel MCU, get on it. Even if you're not, it's still worth watching. I'm, I'm probably the worst person to ask for, for uh, recommendations just because I'm not super duper discriminating. Like for me, it's just like, ah, I kept my attention for X amount of time, whatever. It's fine. I mean, I think in the future, if I, if I have to give some ratings on this, on this podcast, when it comes to a movie, I'm going to be like, how many movies do you watch a month? You know, like if 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 you only watch two movies a month, don't let this be one of the two movies. So break something. it break it down by like realistic amounts. Yeah, but like the, the amount of time that you have, the amount of time that you have to um to consume things. If you don't have a lot of time to consume things, then um, I would say uh, not necessarily. You don't need to watch this, but I, I enjoyed it, uh, and I feel like uh, if you do have a little bit of time, you can binge out on this on the weekends, and I think it's highly bingeable. Um. At the end of every episode, it just kind of connects to the very next episode, and you know you're still right there. There's no setup or anything else like yeah, that. Yeah, there's no like I did notice that about the show as well. There's no like kind of like that in between stuff that you get with a lot of other shows. It just goes, just keeps running straight through. Yeah, it's meant to be binged. Yeah. Sure. I agree with Blaze. If you liked season one, then you should definitely watch season two. I think it's better than season one. I agree. Definitely. So, oh, that's good. We're good there. Now, it is spoiler time. So, if you have not seen all of Luke Cage, turn it off now. Here. What about for Infinity War stuff? Because some of that might come in a bit later as well. And Black Panther. Infinity War made $2 billion. I'm sure by now everyone has seen that movie. If you haven't, that's that's on you. We can't we can't wait for you. The game don't wait. <laughs> nah. <laughs> this, this thing keeps on rolling, man. And there's also... Well, same with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm sure everyone's caught up to that. I doubt it. That's a little, little <laughs> <less>. <laughs> All right, here we go. So let's start with episode one. First, Lucy Liu directed this episode. Yes, she did. I suppose her work with Charlie's Angels and that kind of th- throwback. I think it was that, and I saw somebody else mention with Tarantino a bit as well. She did some with, um, I guess, from Kill Bill, maybe, Kill Bill or... maybe, and a couple of other ones. Okay, kind of... interesting. I know that. It started off with shook once part two and just right there i was so hyped for this that scene 
even though you knew what was going to happen, guy walks in, everyone starts to shoot him and try to punch him, and he just fends him off. It was I was still just super hype already. I'm just on the couch, just nodding my head and just getting hype. Still, I just love the way he just sort of walked in, headphones on, just like comes into place, hoodie down, headphones off. That's yeah. rock. I thought it was interesting that they explored Luke's ego this time. He always seemed like a, like a black boy scout. You know, the last season or the previous season, he was angry at the black man for calling him the N-word and just using the N-word. But here, he's starting to let that you'll get to him a little bit. I mean, it would be a little bit difficult not to let that get to you. Sure. I mean, you're bulletproof. Nothing theoretically can hurt you. The only things that, I mean, things can hurt him. I mean, obviously the Judas bullets were a big thing in the sort of towards the end of the first season. And they do actually come up quite a bit in the season as well. And there's other sort of minuscule sort of ways they can actually be hurt. But he knows he can basically waltz around Harlem and just nothing can touch him. Well, more than that, just everyone loves him, right? Men want to be him. Women want to be with him. I mean, you're seeing him walk around and ladies are turning around just to look at this man. How could you not let that get to your head at, at one point? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's right. It does. <laughs> and it was interesting the way they actually portrayed that a little bit going in the show as well, because you don't see it in the other MCU like universe, but in this one, not only to go to his head, but he's also actually getting offered like sponsorship deals and, you know, things to like turn up to parties and stuff like that when he had to go get find money. Right. You know, and that's kind of an interesting sort of point is like, you know, you're a hero. But, you know, do you actually want to be a hero for hire? Are you actually going to put yourself out there and are you actually going to get paid for this? Dope. Yeah, well, you think about um, a lot of other superheroes and you th- and they kind of gloss over how this person kind of survives. Right. And how they, like, earn money or, you know, in order to, to kind of survive. You know, you got to pay the, pay the rent. How are you going to yeah, pay the rent? exactly. You know, like, I guess Tony Stark's paying everybody's rent in the Avengers or, or whatever. You know, they're living in this fancy-ass, you know... Um, facility up 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 north yeah but uh but yeah glossing over that i mean i think that this is kind of this realistic view where he's just like man i got bills to pay you know this that and the other so yeah might as well make something work for me well it's one of the reasons why i love spider-man and that he's a kid with these amazing powers but he has he still has to make ends meet for his family and himself usually it seems like he doesn't let that get to him to him too much i mean his life is actually pretty depressing he yeah. accidentally killed his girlfriend and things like that and but he still keeps chipper and let's go on to mariah and shades this cougar relationship it was interesting to see how that developed especially from the first season so i never actually realized that those two were that close or even intimate in the first season and then all of a sudden in the second season those two are getting down and dirty yeah well, well, in the, in the first season, it seemed more like it was just Shades trying to stay on yeah. after, after you know, Cottonmouth or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it was interesting to see that it actually turned into something where, like, Shades was like a ride or die for, for Mariah. It wasn't even, you know, he wasn't even trying to, like, you know, scam her. It was just like, let, I'm trying to do what's best yeah. for you, for best for us. I want us to be together the whole thing so i was just like oh wow okay uh, it's just like uh comanche said you know it must be something something about mariah <laughs> <laughs> something about her has got you has got you hooked yeah. and they did you know they, i think yeah it was comanche who was saying as well it's like you know to shades it's like you should be running this hmm. you know you're the man who's got the ideas you're the one who's got the passion you're the one that's knows what he's doing 
Hmm. You should be up there running this, not Mariah. But, you know, at the end of the day, the boys, the boys is hooked. Well, Comanche he did. had ulterior motives, though. That is true. Well, Shades did say, A, the reason why he liked Mariah was because she inspired him to see the world differently, right? Yeah. yeah. The bigger picture. Exactly. And that he also said that when she killed, she didn't hesitate, and that he trusted her to, to, do, do, to what, do what needs what to, be needs to be done. Exactly. I found it interesting. I guess we can talk about the family aspect of this show. This show was all about family, very similar to, not very similar, but similar to Jessica Jones season two. Very much so, yeah. Made it a lot more personal. Mariah is haunted by the ghost of her past and the ghost of her family quite literally in one scene. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of heavy stuff coming out of her past. Yes. Let's dig into the characters. Of course, let's start with Luke Cage. As I said, his acting is a lot better. He seems more comfortable in the role, and he's struggling. The barbershop is... I think the barbershop's getting sold. They are get sold. They're, they're losing their lease because they're getting priced out. That's right, because of all the stuff that goes on there, insurance. Insurance is raised up. What I find interesting is, why don't you just hire barbers to make money? Because <laughs> there was never a barber in that shop ever. It is. They made that place like a memorial to pops. To right. pops, yeah. So, I mean, the place was was supposed to be like the neutral ground for everybody to meet at or for people to talk their stuff over. And it kind of never really felt like it sort of lived up that. Until the end when, you know, um, D-Dub actually said, you know, what the barbershop has got to be. And I thought it is quite a, you know, like the, the location does have a lot of meaning. Sure. You know, especially in a place where, you know, what's going on in Harlem, you know, what's going on in, the, in that wider universe. It felt like an important place, and it's sort of, you know, I was kind of hoping they would, you know, flush that out a bit more, like, you know, with what Luke was going to do with it. Sure. But it was nice at the end, though, just like where, it, you know, Luke decided to say, right, you know, I've, I'm going to go this direction, you know, to try and be the King of Harlem. And then D-Dub was like, straight up, well, you can't do it here. Right. And I thought, I just that scene itself, like, I thought was really, really powerful. And it was nice that Luke respected that decision, yeah. right? So even though, like, you know, like his ego and stuff had been going up and down throughout the show, it was good to sort of see that by the end of it, he had got to that point where he's like, I, you know, I can still respect that. Well, that's jumping forward a little bit, though, isn't it? No, it's fine. Oh, we can talk about all that stuff. We can go back. Let's go back. I mean, going to Luke's ego, he let fame get to him. And also (laughs) the dab. The dab. Oh, bruh. (laughs) I'm wondering if that was like a, it was a little bit of a, just like a fame and a little bit out of frustration as well. True. Well, I mean, he just learned that he could take a Judas bullet right there, right? Right, th- right then and there, like you know, Judas bullet so bounced off. So that his... gave him an even bigger boost to his ego. confidence, his ego. So his father. Okay. Rest in peace. Rest, rest, in, rest in peace. Yeah. Yes. Fantastic actor. I really love that actor, and he really nailed it. In this show there are two parts of the show where i feel like representation really matters for women women of color black men just black people in general and the issues with his father was one of them i love my dad but it wasn't always that way he did some things i you know wasn't particularly happy with in the past and it was hard to reconcile that and still love him at the same time but this show showed that it shows black men that it is possible to 
forgive and understand and make peace with it and move on. I really, I really like that a lot. And I think that's quite indicative of a lot of, like, a lot of people as well. Like, I think, you know, not just not just coming from black, but also other minorities as well. Sure. Like, I know that, especially back in my home country too, you know, that's a, that story is just, you know, every, almost every kid growing up, uh, you know, who's, who's young and, you know, Māori or Pacific Island and stuff like that. So we all know that as well. And it was, you know, it's not, kind of nice to see that, you know, turn around and just seeing where, you know, where you can actually end up and once you put in a bit of effort or, you know, whatever else comes along. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, you said that, you know, it's okay to, to make up with them and have this kind of, you know, both people having the, this vulnerability and, and, and letting it out and kind of, I think it's, I think it's more than that. I think it's like, it was necessary, right? It was necessary for the character to, you know, advance or, or progress um, and, you know, not just uh, on TV, right? Sure. <laughs> and I think that's probably why Claire, like, you know, they had the um, the Claire character, you know, really push forward the whole father thing as well as they were going through. Yeah, but she wasn't, she wasn't all the way right with that either. True. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she wasn't all the way right with it. I mean, I look at that as uh, she was out of line a little bit, you know, for, for the way that she went about it. Yeah, I think she... I mean, so there's one thing just to sort of mention it and, you know, push it a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, I think she did kind of go that little bit extra. Yeah, people got to be able to have the time to figure out how to deal with it and confront these things and come to um, resolution with these kind of things on their own time. And she was, like, pushing a little bit. I wonder if that's also just a kind of a side effect of the fact that it's a show and you want to get through X amount of stuff Mm. within X amount of time. Well, you could also argue that she said herself that she didn't make peace with her father. It was too late. Right. right? So that sense of urgency, I guess you could say it's fair. It's, it's earned. But then, I mean, getting back to Luke Cage, we see in the final scene or whatever like that, or the final kind of set, uh, he's telling, he's telling, uh, his underlings, you know, to, to tell Claire to go home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like she comes back for the first time and he's like, I've got other priorities right now. Well, let's go to before all that, when he punched a hole in her mom's apartment. Yeah. Yeah. When he actually, and there was an interesting part, um, afterwards as well, when he's, you know, when they were talking about the black man rage, mm-hmm. you know, or just, you know, that kind of rage where you see it, you know, when you get a normal kind of person, that rage, you know, it's probably just going to hurt what's in front of you. But with someone like Luke Cage, who's obviously super-powered, you know, that rage could not only just kill somebody, you know, that could also level a silly block. Yeah, cockroach. Episode three, where a lot of this happened, was called The Wig Out. And wigging out, for folks who don't know, means just going crazy. And so in this episode, we see Luke going nuts and punching the wall and that was after him and Claire actually sort of got into it about his especially his his, his ego right a lot of that stuff and his father so in that we talked about how it's okay to try to talk things through and make peace with mistakes but for women it's not always that easy and again that's why I felt that this scene was very powerful I loved how Luke was talking about in America a black man can only be two things you only be like a what do you say a a violent guy or like a like a, a house cat I think he said house cat yeah so like you'd be either the timid one or you're like the over the top violent one but here Claire 
came back with, well, how about a woman? You're either a hoe or a housewife. You have to push through that. And I feel like a lot of black men have that anger and that view of the world. And sure, it is understandable, but there has to be a point when you push past that. And again, that's why representation, I feel, matters. Men need to see this and push past that. Women need to see that. You don't have to stay with a potential abuser even if you see decent qualities in that person. You can move on. You can still love that person and not be with that person. Okay. Um, I was, uh, during that whole scene, I was kind of given a side eye because it was creeping very much into kind of respectability politics and everything else like that, which I'm not always, like, it, it kind of it kind of diminishes people uh, within the community, I think, to, to have these kind of respectability politics and everything where it's, this is the way that you've got to be if you want to be perceived as a lady or, or a man or whatever else like that. So um, I was kind of side-eye in that scene, but then he punched the wall and I was just like, all right, it just got real. Yeah. Well, we, we see Luke Cage reading books throughout the show and he was reading Tenhazi Coates, a person I have immense respect for, but his philosophies can be a little too pessimistic sometimes. And I feel like that that may have rubbed off on Luke Cage in regards to that particular scene. I thought that was interesting. I mean, watching that scene is kind of like, it did actually make me think back to one of our New Zealand movies. Like, I'm not sure if any of you guys might have seen Once Were Warriors. And if you haven't, it's like, that's, you know, that's one of the kind of movies that really delves into like, you know, the anger like that, you know, minority men tend to have you know after all the crap that goes on in our lives and just sort of watching that like he they did get quite raw you know sort of one point in that and it was just like it was just nice to watch to actually sort of see that kind of thing actually put out like on a you know on a mainstream tv show that a lot of people are going to watch and hopefully a lot of people might look at that and sort of take some of that stuff in absolutely and so it was called what once we're warriors once we were warriors. Once we were warriors. Once we were warriors. So yeah, it's a it's a New Zealand um, TV movie, and be prepared to just be sh- a little bit shocked. Like it's it's really it's raw, very raw. Cool. Let's uh, move on to my personal favorite character, Misty Knight. She got a great arc in this. I was very happy about that. I found out something on the IMDb. You know, you know who she's married to in real life. Who? Cockroach. Word. Oh, what? yes. She's okay. married to the actor who plays Cockroach, and I was just like, oh that my God. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Lucky. That's funny. The Wig Out episode also had the fight, the bar scene fight with Colleen Wing. And the, and the one armed. And the one armed. Yeah. Uh, that was. Misty. That was really cool. I was, I was nice how they brought Colleen in for that. Yes. Like, I thought that worked really, really well. Her and Danny Rand, uh, Iron Fist, were just put in just for a decent amount and then taken out. I just loved, and she got hit, and kind of looks up, and Colleen's just sip, sipping her beer, like, what? Got, yeah, handle, it. handle it. Handle it. <laughs> exactly. You got this. Yeah. So just going, I don't need to help you. I need to step into this. You've been training for this. This is what you need. I mean, it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of nice, though, like, the way they did it, because obviously she lost an arm right? Uh-huh. Um, in Defenders, and it was her right arm, so it was her main arm, which, of course, would put you really, like, ridiculously off balance. Mm-hmm. And it was showing, I mean, it didn't go too much into it, but it did still show the kind of struggles that you would have, especially as a police officer. Everyday life. Yeah. Everyday life, just sort of like trying to go forward and trying to adapt to losing an arm, yeah. which without losing an arm, I wouldn't 100% know about, but you could just imagine how 
you know, rough, not just physically, but also psychologically, that could be on you. It's just like she's been relegated to desk duty, but like she can barely do paperwork because she can't write because yeah, she can't write because of the left hand yet. You know, so yeah, she was she was discharged, or was she she was given basically just given the paid out, and yeah, three quarter pension or whatever. To just be the, be just be like the police mascot, really. Yeah, poster girl. I liked her exchange with Luke in the car. I was afraid that this show may go to love triangle territory. And Luke was like, you know, he got kicked out of Claire's house, and then he was in the car like. Uh, can I can I stay with you? And she's like, "Oh hell no!" <laughs> yeah, I was, I was glad they didn't go down that route. That was great. Um, and then even that one scene, they get out the car, and then she puts on her vest with one hand, uh-huh. and then like does that gun check one handedly. Uh-huh. And he's like, "You go in there with just that little gun," and then she pulls out the shotgun. I'm like, "All right, fine. What? What yeah. now?" And I'm like, "Oh, I just oh, I love this yeah. character. Oh, she's so great." And it was nice, like whether she she did get the arm eventually yeah like and it wasn't it wasn't straight away like you know they kind of build up to it she right. got, you know gets her confidence back and she's like right that's you know wasn't it supposed to be from tony stark though in the comic in the books comics yes comics as was but and that's it another, came from Danny ran ran this one time it came from ran industries and that's another little sort of talking point once we get towards the end it's just like how this does fit into the greater scheme of the mcu anything else for for misty misty um I mean, how are we feeling about uh, the Daughters of the Dragon spinoff? Do we want it? Mm, be nice. Misty and Colleen. That would be nice to see. Like I thought, those two did like had they they had good chemistry on screen. Yeah, sure. I thought that you know just like that from that bar fight scene instead of alone. Mm-hmm. I thought these two could actually pull it off. Pull it off. Yeah, sure. I wouldn't mind at all. I don't know if I would want it a Defenders level where it's eight episodes or. 13 as long like, as they have a good story like a i don't care what they do episode you know kind of daughter or even if it's a tie-in with the, like with yeah. the next defenders or something like that i yeah. might maybe where they, they might. have like a singular episode where it's just about mm-hmm. them sure um also at the end like i did like that she was you know giving you know she's giving cage a side eye just because of where he'd sort of ended up right you know trying to be running um harlem's paradise and mm-hmm. just sort of the position he was going in and she's just sort of looking at him and just going you know this is going to fuck with you. But, okay, just about that. I mean, since we talked about Luke Cage already and we're talking about Misty in this particular side-eye scene or whatever, um, again, I'm, I'm going to make another Chris Rock reference, but I don't know if you guys used to watch the Chris Rock show on HBO. Um, he had this one uh, kind of uh, public service announcement kind of commercial where it was like I the Knives for Gun program. Right, where it's just like you turn in your gun and they give you like a, a Bowie knife or whatever like that. Mm. And he was just like, we're not naive enough to believe that we could get rid of crime altogether. <laughs> but if we get rid of guns, he was just like, a knife is a, is a man's tool. You got to get close enough and everything else like that. And he starts talking about the reason why we're, we're going to give people knives because we know that they're going to be violent anyway. Right. So it's just like his whole Luke Cage's whole reason for taking over. Harlem's uh, paradise and becoming like this boss is the benevolent dictator. You know, like I, I'm not naive enough to believe that we could get rid of crime altogether. Right. You know, so at least let's make sure that the people are safe and the people that are doing crime are not causing harm to the to the community. You know, they're not going, they're not wilding out and like, you know, going at each other's throats. Let's yeah. keep things civil. I think it's interesting that the three main characters or faces of 
Justice and Injustice, Luke, Misty, and Mariah, all three compromised to some some points to get results, right? Mariah wasn't supposed to sell drugs Mm -hmm. in the hood, but then she did that to get more money and get more more power. You had Luke Cage compromised via, you know, the king king of Harlem. Mm -hmm. And then you had Misty Knight... Uh, Although she, she didn't, was, she worked. Quite, she, well, she didn't quite get to the setup point, but she was going to. Well, no, I mean, she, in principle, she was going to do it. It yeah. just didn't work out. Yeah. But no, she was going to give Shade that plea deal. Oh yeah, that's oh. There's, so there's a couple of moments. Yeah, so she yeah. did give him the plea deal. She was going to like and look after Mariah. Right. Not go after us, and also she was going to plant evidence on cockroach on exactly. cockroach to you know because he was going to get away with it. Exactly. Yeah, but, I mean, I think that just goes to the previous point of just Shades of Grey being a lot more interesting uh, as far as entertainment goes and not having the black and white dichotomy of, like, good versus evil. Absolutely. Like, everybody's mm-hmm. mixing it up a little bit, you know, so. Yeah, I felt that really worked quite well with the show, too, because not the characters, again, they're not all one-dimensional. You've got reasons for this and reasons for that. They're not just going, this is this, so be it. Right. Like, okay, there's, there is some gray areas. Let's, uh... And before we move on to the villains, I want to talk about Bobby Fish, uh-huh. uh, the old guy. And we shop. can talk about DW, too. Sure. Yeah. I thought this was really great. I loved the kind of old mentor aspect of Bobby Fish's character. He had a quote I really liked uh, before he left, because he left in episode four, and I was like, oh, yeah, don't, he left don't really early, so early. To go. I mean, he had to go, um, he was giving a little kidney to his niece his daughter. daughter oh it was his daughter a strange daughter a strange daughter yes and he said uh, we gotta do our own part in our own way and uh, then Luke told him go be a hero and that was really really cool mm. like like their their relationship really felt organic similar to Pops and, and him back he in felt like I mean, he, he wasn't quite what a Pops was but he was kind of like I guess like a Pops brother type thing sure you know it was like he sort of had that kind of he was kind of that second rock, I guess, of like the barbershop. Sure. Nothing really to add. I mean, Fish was dope. I like I liked the character. I like the actor. Sure. He was uh, in Mr. Robot. I really liked him in that, too. Yeah, Mr. Robot. Yeah. But DW, on the other hand, I didn't like him. Oh. Not a fan. He was, uh, he was a little bit too much for me. I feel like uh, he was supposed to represent like this younger generation. And to me, that was, he was more cartoonish as a member of the younger generation than, you know, uh, Bushmaster was as a villain, in my opinion. Um, so, like, I, was, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of DW. Um, and then it, he goes from being like, ah, oh, man, I'm selling everything. I'm, I'm all capitalism, this, that, and the other, to being like this devout this is the temple, you can't do that here, that kind of thing. And I was just like, all right, well, where did that character development come from? Well, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. I mean, you could sell all this stuff and still, it wasn't like he was doing anything crazy in the barbershop. He was selling things out the barbershop, but it wasn't like he was doing criminal activity or something. I think once, I think once he saw the drugs at that house party and he saw folks mm. literally trying to Trying like, to like vampire each other. Each other. That and was yeah. his girlfriend as well that was heavily involved in that too. That right. Was... So like she was she was almost killed. Mm. So I think that made him wake up and I say think that we was need his... to do something better. Yeah, that was be better. I felt like that was his big turnaround. Because even before then, 
I think he was, like, all the stuff he was trying to sell, wasn't he giving that money back to the barbershop? Well, he said that with all the things that he he's earned, he's going to use that money to buy the barbershop. Right, but that was a, that was towards the end, I think. At the part. end, it, yeah. it wasn't in the beginning. He was just trying to live. Yeah. I didn't dislike the character. I didn't love him either. He was just he he fine. Like, fine. He felt like that kind of, you know, that kind of secondary comic-y character you kind of have that's just always running around. The comic relief. It's kind of like the comic relief. I mean, sure. What? I mean, he did... There was a couple of like things he did sort of bring to the table, just like with the whole recording thing and like then him going after like sponsorship deals and all that kind of side of things, which I thought was kind of interesting. Just where exactly it ends Luke Cage being within the public eye, you know, because it started off, you know, Luke Cage, everyone loves him, but then you know, he got the Bushmaster fight on tape, Luke Cage gets his ass whipped, and then you know, all of a sudden everybody hates Luke Cage, and then you know, that's kind of like from his you know perspective of like putting everything out there online right but there was that one i suppose this is more of a thing sort of going forward in the mcu as well luke cage has basically been outed to the world though for what he can do and you know going forward like they did like the testing and stuff people not just in harlem but across you know within the greater universe are going to know who he is now and so you know how they kind of deal with that sort of going forward will be interesting to see because He's one of the few characters within the Netflix series that could quite easily be an Avenger. Like he's that strong that you know he's uh, he's almost onto that power level. Uh, he can he's bulletproof, you know. But but most of the baddies in the in the in the MCU are not using guns, you know. Like I, I look at I look at how he got beat by Bushmaster, who was just on some on some stuff on mm. some smoke, right? You know. Um, he was getting like really messed up by Bushmaster. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Like he's not gonna be on the level of a Hulk. Or I mean, definitely on the level of. A, it's not gonna be a Hulk level, but I say he's definitely closer to a Cap. You know, give or take. Like he's within that sort of zone. And obviously, not skill wise. Yeah. But within power wise, you know, he's sort of within that there. Like yeah. definitely. I mean, I'd say he's on Cap level, and I feel like. Oh, whoa, whoa, stop! He's definitely over Cap's level. I mean, the only Cap's thing that's bulletproof. Right. Yeah, the only thing I don't think is he's not with Cap is his experience. Like, Cap has, not only has he got the super soldier scene, but he's also got the experience with him. I mean, Luke Cage, like, in this, like, the way he fights, you know, it's it's more, I'm bulletproof, nothing can hurt me. And even, you know, when he has those scenes with Danny, you know, even Danny sort of calls him out a bit on it. It's like, you know, you're so off balance, you know, you can't talk right over the stuff. He needs a bit of work, well, I think, just to up his techniques he needs to work on his chi his mm. his powers are invulnerability accelerated healing and his strength i mean he's literally folding guns up like they're aluminum foil right. so he definitely needs training but it wasn't like you know there are other characters with powers that look at the scarlet witch right she's had powers and she but she had to learn to refine those characters mm. so anyway um i'm not going on that too much longer but I just think going forward, like, you know, because he did all these tests within, like, the, you know, did all, like, these running tests, you know, whatever it is, and, like, there was big news, there's kind of no way, like, the Avengers or somebody else wouldn't have him on his radar by then. Now, his ambition. Are we going to talk about, like, his ambition? Because he seemed like, for most of this, he didn't have any ambition until he realized that there was a vacuum, a power vacuum that he kind of needed to fill. Like after after Cotton Mouth had been killed and there was nobody else left to balance the city. But what I'm saying is like everybody in this like kind of Defenders universe 
um, for the for the kind of Netflix programs and everything else like that, seems to just have no ambition besides the neighborhood and, and taking care of like their part of town. Right. They don't have like these global and universal like kind of ambitions. Like maybe the the Avengers want to protect the entire world. Doctor Strange and everybody wants to protect Earth from you know this that and the other. Mm. These characters in the Netflix seem to have like much lower ambitions. When well, they're, they're just street level heroes. I mean, yeah. Spider Man's a street level hero as well, even though he gets recruited at the end of the day he's still i just care about protecting new york city Your right friendly neighborhoods exactly yeah. which is another sort of mention as well because they are obviously all in the same city somebody's going to have to have heard about somebody eventually yeah well i don't know how far spider-man goes uh but speaking of the mcu i want to know the timeline with this and infinity war because obviously this takes place before that if everyone's not getting dusted right not, yeah not getting dusted. Then, i mean but then also you also have Civil War, you talked about he's on people's radar, the Sokovia Accords, right? If you have a super-powered hero that you've seen on video doing all this stuff, you would definitely want that regulated, yeah. right? And he would have, have to be on the courts. I mean, before Defenders, I think most of this would have flown under the radar, and especially with, you know, with, like, the you know, the people overwatching, like, the Sokovia Accords, I think it was the UN... Obviously, they've got all the like the fallout from Ultron and all this other you know stuff going on. Shields and ruins, so they're not exactly going to be chasing after like these street level people. But after this, you know, after the events that happened within Luke Cage season two, if these are going to remain connected, so you know the Netflix series have always been sort of half-heartedly connected to the wider MCU. You know, they'll do like sort of like brief shoutouts, like you know the green guy, you know the guy with the hammer you know, cap, whatever. They don't directly reference them, but they still, or they'll refer to the incident. So they're loosely connected in a way, but after this, and especially with the events of Infinity War going forward, I think they really need to do it, figure out exactly right. Are we going to reference these more and have these affect our universe, or are we going to just place it, place our timeline so that they fall outside of these events and these events have been washed over? Sure. Well, I could say with the Sokovia Accords, the Sokovia Accords dealt with sovereignty right you had these enhanced people crossing into borders doing things so maybe that warranted their attention mm-hmm. if it was civil war like in the comic book that would make sense that they would holler at luke cage but i feel like the courts are about international sovereignty i think so i think it, it it gets a pass no i mean there was like in shield they were delving into like superhero registration and things like that but that was you know that side of things that never really came to fruition just because then you know with an agent's shield like shields basically disbanded sure well, i almost felt like that's what they were going that's where they were going with uh when, when Co- cockroach was in traction you know like when he was like oh man this guy he hit me like i never been hit before yeah, and like yeah. all this other stuff i thought it was like leading towards like luke cage being registered as like a deadly weapon or as like a superhero i thought that they were going to go in that direction i'm surprised that they didn't i'm surprised because, nothing actually came out of that as well just because of what has has been going on in the world i guess cockroach lost his head let's talk about iron fist so i thought it was very meta how luke cage talked to him when he first showed up he said you seem different you seem settled and i feel like that's how the audience was looking at him too because he did seem different in this show than before i mean and that was i think there were a lot of that as well it was just a trying to give the audience 
trying to give them encouragement that the next season of Iron Fist season two is not going to be like season one and it's not going to have the same sort of personality problems that season one of Iron Fist you know had with Danny Rand I mean having having Iron Fist on also I thought it was a teaser for just to see whether people would be up for having Heroes for Hire and I felt like this time around those two had you know they worked really well with each other I thought their chemistry was a lot better than what it was in Defenders and they had a couple of sort of nice sort of, you know, comic book um, fight scene moments, you know, like we powered up the fist and punched it into him and blew out that shockwave. I thought, that's kind of a nice little comic booky moment. It was very much like Age of Ultron when Thor hit Cap's shield. Right. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Or the Von Strucker t- twins in uh, X-Men mythology. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. There wasn't anything about him fighting in that scene that really excited me so i'm still kind of worried about season two he just doesn't seem like a very physically capable i mean not a martial actor. arts capable actor i think right and i think that was one of the big problems with like obviously with iron fist we'll factor in too much in that i think you know the martial arts level was lacking and that's an understatement <laughs> big understatement but there was, oh, there was also one quote I actually kind of liked that he did bring out too, and there was, you know, how do you expect to defend a city if you're at war with yourself? And I thought that's, you know, very indicative of a lot of superheroes. Sure. You know, a lot of superheroes within, you know, any universe is sort of, you know, of course, are always going to have like those inner demons. And it's the way superheroes are sort of naturally written. It's like, you know, tragic backstories pushes X person to become, you know, so great, blah, blah, blah. But it was just, I felt it was kind of a nice way to sort of sum it up and to sort of sum up the way the Luke Cage story was. Do you think that Danny was kind of this tipping point for him to figure things out or to, you know, because Danny came in and was dropping like the philosophy and the knowledge, like laying it on really thick, mm-hmm. you know, do you feel like that was, he that was a turning point? Like that was what kind of like got him to kind of see the light or no? Well, it obviously started with Claire leaving him. Okay. And then, of course, he getting his ass kicked by Bushmaster. Okay. I mean, he kept getting humbled on all points. Okay. And it kind of felt, I mean, that is who, you know, from the previous two outings of Iron Fist, that is who Danny Rand's character is. Yeah. You know, he does, he's just come, you know, from Kunlun half his life, you know, coming here. So he's going to be spouting a lot of that philosophy. And they kind of stay true to sort of his character previously, you know, coming through to that saying, like, you know, your mind and body and soul must all be in line. This is your center, you know, and he kind of, I mean, it does come on a little thick at times. Like he kind of does overdo that, but I've sort of felt, well, that's who he is. Mm. And so, you know, I can kind of deal with that. And then did have that nice little sort of, you know, moment when they're up overlooking the city and, you know, right, let's, you know, let's go at it. Let's have a quick little fight. I mean, there wasn't much to it, but the fact that, you know, he just, Luke Cage ended up face first again, just kind of went to show that, you know, he's got a, do something's got to turn around and then when they did get to that fight scene i mean it's kind of hard as a viewer to actually see you know whether he was on point or not but when the you know at the end like in the restaurant they were actually talking there and he was saying you know you looked more in the zone that you know you looked like everything had been centered my work's done you're good to go kind of hard to make that judgment right because he had been beating everyone up easily exactly the previous so whatever i mean i'll, I'll buy it I mean, and, and 
Danny didn't have the basis for comparison. Like Danny wasn't there before to see like, oh, you're different fighting now, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So for him to just say, oh, no, you look like everything was lined up. I, my job here is done. You got to champ him out. Yeah. And I mean, even having like the lady at the restaurant coming by, coming through, you know, passing saying, are you really okay? Do you need a place to stay? You know, it was kind of like really just force feeding that moment. Just not quite a little bit too much, but it was getting to that point. I didn't see Defenders now. Mm. So uh, everyone's talking about how their rapport between Iron Fist and, and Luke Cage is a little bit better in this one. I still feel like the dialogue and the jokes were a little bit forced. You know, like the whole thing about, like, you know, mispronouncing Kunlun and this. And, and to, just to be honest, like, this whole series, the whole 13 episodes, it was just like, you couldn't go 10 minutes without someone correcting the other person on what the name was. You know, it's just like, it was just like, you know, someone calling someone Carl Lucas and it's like, I'm Luke Cage now. Or, you know, uh, someone uh, saying, you the know, Mariah like, ones, yeah. Mariah Stokes or the Dillard, you know, yeah. that was, that was a big one. Going Mariah, Mariah yeah. Stokes again and again and again with Bushmaster. Then also, um, who was it? Uh, someone, uh, Priscilla called, uh, Misty Mercedes, you know, her real name. And she's like, it's Misty, you know, this, that, and the other. And she, like, everybody was correct mm -hmm. in every, and throughout the entire series, like, ah, oh, this is actually my name. This is actually what it should be. So it was a lot of, like, overcorrecting, like, the well, actually, you know, that type of stuff. The Stokes Diller one was a big one, though. Yeah. But, I mean, I think they're all big. I mean, I'm not sure about Mercedes, her motivation, but, of course, Carl Lucas, he doesn't want to be associated with his father. Right. So, I mean, these are all about running away from our past, running away from our, our parents that did us wrong. Also, Tilda made a correction, too, about her name and everything. Right. Else. Let's get into the villains. Let's talk about Mariah. Now, Mariah and Shades, we thought that was OK. Yeah, I thought it because Twitter was having a field day with that. Oh, God, I can imagine. <laughs> well, it was interesting. Let that lady get hers. <laughs> no. What are you going to make living the dream? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Alfie Woodard walked into the room and was like, hey, let's get some coffee. I'm not going to say no. Yeah. And I mean, they never really brought up that issue too much within it either. But it's interesting because it's like, it's like on some Me Too shit, some reverse Me Too shit, right? Because she was like with Alex, her employee or whatever else like that. She was, you know, putting the moves on him in the office oh, that's true. when Shades mm. walked in and everything. And now she's just like drunk with power. Mm. you know at this point so she's just like everybody can be mine i can have anything i want she's like flirting with anybody and everybody i mean she has quite the up and down arc too i mean she goes from being up high then having everything systematically taken ripped right from out and right from out underneath her to put back up right on top dog again mm. to right back down again well just being even at that rock bottom place just how desperate she was to get back up yeah just her this is where it got weird for me well, this is after she got everything back. How she, you have all this money, and yet you still want to be a villain and shoot an entire restaurant and burn a man alive. I mean, let's go to that restaurant scene just briefly because that was brutal. And I do like the fact that Suge, before then, left. Yes. Like, I thought that was quite a nice sort of character moment for him, like, thinking it's like... Well, you got to keep Suge pure. Yeah, to a certain degree, right? You do, I mean, but I mean, and it's just the fact that he, you know, having your people know, you know the reason why you're rolling up to the place, you know what's going to go down. But also seeing the, what, just how far Mariah went, and even just look, the look on Shade's face, just going, okay, this is too far. Yeah. Well, you, when you're talking about her up and down and her up and down, and why, if she had all that money, does she want to do this? I think that 
like the whole confession, you know, when she confessed to Tilda about like her entire history mm-hmm. and this, I mean like there was nothing else to hide there's nothing else to kind of emulate there's no reason for her to you know try to hide who she really is and that was she was at, you know once she got to that point that she was at the point where she's going to say I am just not going to yeah. back down you mentioned the confession when she told Tilda I tried to love you but I don't every time I look at your face or I'm sorry every time I look in your face I see Pete and Pete was the uncle who, her, her, who, who sexually assaulted her. I hate the R word, but mm-hmm. sexually assaulted her and gave her this child. Yeah. The episode was called For Pete's Sake. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. again, just going back to the titles. Just a huge deep cut there. Man. But both Alfre Woodard and the actress Gabrielle Dennis. Now, they, Gabrielle Dennis? I'm not sure if the BET Awards have an award for the the best ugly cry ever but she crushed it bruh like that was like the best ugly cry i've seen in like ages like real i've seen real people ugly cry and it wasn't that legit i feel like there were four of those it was her and then when shades gave uh comanche's mother the news Mm -hmm. yeah and then there was a mother who was crying after mariah was cleaning up shop at the end like killing all of her henchmen there was ugly cry with the cops at that crime scene yeah that was alex that was uh, her employee that she killed. Yeah, oh, she right, killed exactly, yeah. exactly, Alex yes. Yeah. Really, really good. How'd you all feel about her? Uh, kind of predictable. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's it's kind of, like, had these beats that you could kind of see, like, that it was moving towards, and you were just like, okay, I can, I can kind of see where her character Yeah, I mean, they're, they're building up her up as the Nightshade character, and you, at first you're kind of like, okay, this is just a strange daughter, but then you sort of realized okay, this is where they're building her up. She's, you know, they're going to go through X amount of process to make sure she's in X place by the end. Yeah. And it did feel a little bit telegraphed in that respect, but I, or I thought that was kind of offset by just the way that, you know, her and Mariah, you know, had that kind of on and off relationship and that big reveal at the end where they did, you know, that she, Mariah was telling her, you know, I love you. I tried to love you, but I can't. Blah, da, 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 da. And I thought that was like, it's the, one of those moments where you, I thought all those were really, really good. It did just have like that set up for, here's your tragic villain. Here's your tragic past. Mm-hmm. You're going to go this angle now to be the villain because of it. I definitely saw the kiss of death coming. Yeah. As soon as she was like nice to her and called her mommy and gave her the kiss, I was like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, whoa. Well, she called yeah. her mother. She called her. Okay. And that's how, that's, that's how, how she realized after she was just like, okay, oh, you bitch. Uh, well, I don't think she knew. She didn't know that she was going to die of poison at that point. No, no, no. But when she started choking, then it just clicked in yeah, her head. But for me, as soon as I saw her kiss her, I was on, like, oh, it's yeah, over. Yeah. It's it's over. Kiss her on the lips and was just like, yeah, I'm. Oh, I'll, I, this is it, mommy, mother, or whatever this that. And I was just like, this this is just like Game of Thrones. Like, yeah. Straight Game of Thrones right there. <laughs> Let's go to Bushmaster. Bushmaster. Okay, so how do we feel about the patois? How do we feel about the way that it was? Did you watch it with subtitles? No, I always watch it with subtitles. I when I realized they were gonna do that, then I was like, damn, I better turn the subtitles on because I I loved that they did that. Um, like I really loved that they they did that. They they put in those hard out, you know, like that. I mean, I don't even know what it is like. The, but but the subtitles were the English translation of the patois. Yeah. It didn't have the actual patois there, you know. So I thought that that was kind of a little bit of a ripoff, but I, I guess I get why they did it. 
I mean, I kind of, I kind of liked that they did that because I don't know it, and so it was kind of like I did guess most of it, but it was just helpful having that. Okay, so that's what he means. You know, it was kind of like having the translation for it. Uh, apparently, the actor doesn't speak with that accent. No, and so I have no basis for how authentic it sounded, but it sounded fine to me. I thought it sounded. Um, it, it was better than Cool Runnings, <laughs> but I feel like that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> Oh, I just say it cool. Oh, I, I still love that movie. Bushmaster was brutal. I thought it was pretty awesome. Just episode one, when he, he just grabbed the leader and just cut across his eyes, and you're just like, like my jaw just dropped until the last guy was dead on the floor. Yeah. That felt like a, a Tarantino moment. I think that was, that was a Lucy Liu yeah. throwback to that, because I was watching that too, and I was just like, that's raw. Yeah, when I saw that, I was just like, this is not your, your average. Sicker than your average. <laughs> Sicker than your average. <laughs> so. But it was, and he didn't really lay up on that either. He continued going the whole way through. He was very physical. Mm. Very different from the previous season, where it was Cottonmouth, which is, I'm smooth, what you're going to do, do to me, and you got nothing. Mariah mm. kind of played to that too. But Bushmaster was his physical equal, and it was great. The fight scenes, like, it was nice watching, like, he'd, how he did, like, when Luke Cage first, you know, rolled up into their, um, into their den, you know, Bushmaster just stayed back, somebody was recording him, watching how he fights, mm-hmm. and then he had, like, you know, that little, like, like, that Bruce Lee type scene, where he's watching him on the big, on the big projector screen, and, you know, watching how he fights, yeah. and then, you know, shadow boxing the way he's gonna come back at him and stuff, and I thought, that was really cool. That was yeah. very cool. He's not just a brute. No, he's, he's he feels and he's also cerebral. Yeah, he was. Uh, that that was the moment where I was just like, okay, Luke Cage is gonna be in trouble because no one ever, no one ever, you know, like studies him. Right. You know, it's just right. always just like, oh, he can't. You know, like they just take it at face value. He can't be hurt. He can't be shot. This, that, and the other. And it's just like, all right, we'll throw everything you can at him. This guy was just like, nah. I'm gonna see how you move. I'm gonna study you. That's and it. you know he's gonna get get his movements down packed. So then not only he, he and he has the power to take him out too. Right. I mean there was some interesting things like you know just talking about what his powers actually are, you know and how they are compared to Luke Cage's. Right. And um, you know Danny actually pointed out to Luke Cage as well. It's like, well, you don't bleed. Does he bleed? Mm-hmm. You know, and you did sort of see just sort of like at the end of that too, like after Bushmaster had been shot. Like, the bullets hadn't actually bounced off of him. They sort of stuck inside of him. So you sort of realize it's like, okay, he is... He's similar, but he's not the same as Cage. Like, he is... Right. He can be vulnerable. And I thought that's... You know, it was kind of interesting to just sort of see how they threw that out there. Just not to give him, like, that all... Almost impossible to beat beat villain. Like, they did give him sort of like an Achilles heel. Yeah. Well, you have invulnerability versus a technical superior as far as fighting goes, right? Mm-hmm. So who's, and of course, one who's not so cocky. He's actually putting in work to, to study this, right? He had that that fable of the hill, the man on the hill, versus yeah. the man at the bottom. I feel like his backstory uh, was one of the most interesting parts of the, the season. It was just like going back and, you know, seeing young Mariah and, and you know, Yeah, that scene, at the, that scene like at like, the villa or whatever it was. Yeah, but even, even like the whole thing about him getting the vaccine and like mm, all of that sure. other stuff. I feel like that was really cool backstory. Um, and I was just like, I was intrigued at that point and I kind of really, I mean, I feel like 
Bushmaster is kind of like a Killmonger-esque. I mean, he's definitely got those... He hits some of those beats. Yeah. You also have just how vile Mariah's parents were, right? And, and that she didn't have a choice but to... I mean, like, it feels like she was born into that life and sucked into that life a little and then, bit you know, not, was, not necessarily that she didn't have a choice, but that she was heavily influenced. It's like that Bane moment. It's just like I was molded by it. So exactly. I mean, you had Mama Mabel burn his mother alive and then almost like dance right in front of him. Yeah. You know, Super Bowl yeah. dance. Touchdown <laughs> dance on him. Then, then the father comes back and shoots him. And it's just, you know, just casually just walks up to him and just pops two in him. Hurrah. And then they let the uncle do what he did to their daughter and then took the baby. I mean, those parents, those are uh, horrible, just yeah, despicable. Took, took the baby away and then, you know, gave it, to, gave it to the Johnson family or whoever it was. Yeah, it seems like no matter whatever big bad that they bring in, it's it's never going to be worse than like Mariah's upbringing. No. Like Mabel and Pete and no. all them. It's just like those are like the most despicable people. You can't get much worse than what they pulled like, out. I want to go back to Mariah a little bit too. Remember when she gave that speech to that new hostess, Billy? Uh-huh. At first I thought she was just talking to her to just, you know, you can start off at this place, but I want you to be empowered and like move on to do other things or do what I'm doing in a sense of just being a powerful woman. But she was kind of like a pimp. Yeah, she was just a yeah. madam. She was just like Mabel. A madam. Oh, yes. Yeah, there and, you go. And then, like, the, the lady that she met in prison, Sunflower or whatever her right. name just, was. Right, just, like, straight up. It's like, all right, go to shank. Like, I want to oh, shank that's one of Pete's dirty whores. Or, you know, like that. After, you know, this, that, and the other. She was just like, she turned into, like, Mama Mabel. She turned into the madam, basically, right. at that point. Where it's just like, she just that's went full what's into in her it. mind. That's what she knows. You go for what you know. And this is like, ah, this is how Mama Mabel used to you know, manipulate the girls to get what she wanted and accumulate more power. Can we talk about how she cut that woman's throat? She's like, oh, can I can I just get this knife to, like, carve my name in that yeah. face? This, oh, thanks. Yeah. Just straight up. Like, the the bodyguards or whatever were shook. Yeah. I was shook. I think everyone was, like, just sort of thinking, it's like, whoa, that's, you know, and that was coming after she's right right down the bottom. Yeah. Right. And um, it's like, see, see where she's going to, she's, I think she was at the point where she's going to embrace what she was. Yeah, I mean, her whole thing is just like top or bottom or anywhere in between. Mariah felt entitled to the success and the trappings of success. You know, so even at the very bottom, she's not hitting a low point. She's thinking about how she's going to get back to the mm. high point again. Right. Because she deserves it. It's hers, you know. So there's a lot of entitlement. You get entitlement from Bushmaster as well. You know, it's my birthright, you know, and all this other, I, I hate to do the, the patois or whatever, because I'm, it's not really like my speed, but, you know, he kept on saying his birthright and this is what, you know, you know, so he, the entitlement drove him as well. Sure. You know. And I think that also comes over into the way Luke was acting as well. It's like, you know, Harlem is mine to look after. Right. You know, it's kind of like, it's like the same type of thing. It's like, it's, he's entitled to look after this place. But he didn't feel like he was born into it. Mm. everybody else feels like it's my birthright this is you know i was born to take over this this belongs to me because of my family's history you know whereas luke cage was just like he showed up and he kind of earned it you know and then he felt you know obligated which also kind of will be interesting to see is like now that the end of the show obviously he is the kingpin you know of of harlem and you have all these other you know everybody else to the side is sort of like 
bowing down to him. Yeah, but it's it's like it's two things in one. It's like at the end, it's like he's the benevolent dictator, which is supposedly the most perfect form of government, the most efficient form of government anyway, <laughs> of governance. Uh, and he's also the uh, hesitant, you know, the person that kind of kind of got pushed into doing mm. it. You know, the candidate that you know didn't really want to run for office but was drafted. You know, to do it. And because, you know, everyone that you runs for office is usually kind of a psychopath, you know, and you want to find the people that don't really want it as much because you feel like they might do better in the jobs. So. And I mean, it was Mariah who put him in that position. Yeah. You know, so on on her deathbed, you know, she's her will. She explicitly said it is like, you know, Harlan's Paradise will go yeah. to Luke Cage. And it's like yeah. it's kind of like her parting gift. The only person who loved Harlem as much as I did. Yeah. That was deep. That was deep. It was. But the underlying idea that it would corrupt him, like she just, she, her parting gift was not to give him a gift, but it was to a corrupt him. Yeah. A poison pill. There you go. Do you think that that poison pill was because she wanted to save Tilda and not have Tilda take the poison pill? Or do you think that it was because she wanted to? I think it's because she genuinely loves Harlem. Like at the end of the day, I think she's still as bad as she is as you know all the bullshit that she's been through i think she actually still genuinely loves harlem i think that's what makes her quite a great character you know she wanted to do the whole the family first thing like she was really into that right you know she really wanted to make harlem strong and i think at the end of the day she's like you know and she said that you know i'll give this to the person who loves harlem as much as me and i think you know although she there'll be a part of her that thinks this is going to corrupt him but she still thinks this is the best move for Harlem. Okay. True. And I don't think she cares enough about Matilda to try to spite her One or, or, or save her. Or save her, yeah. I mean, it, it did also kind of feel like a, as a bit of a parting spite, I guess, in a way. But she still gave her something. The Cottonmouth Piano. The Cottonmouth Piano. So at that time, I don't think it was. Okay. So let's wind down here. Where? How do you feel about the ending and where do you think it's going? Where do you want it to go? Okay, um, as far as the ending, um, I think that it's a misdirect a little bit. I think that we're supposed to think that maybe he's already starting to be corrupted by power and now he's like, uh, you know, Misty, get out of my life. You know, let's like, let's push Claire out or something else like that. But I think that it's ultimately going to be kind of a misdirect. And um, he's going to make sure that Harlem is not violent, even though there is some sort of illicit trades and things happening and going on and this, that, and the other. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll see, but I don't think it's necessarily, you know, we have him looking at the camera and we're supposed to feel a certain type of way, like, oh, no. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's, I've ended at a point where, you know, the the next step is ambiguous. Like, I don't and I think they've kind of done that on purpose as well, just because we don't know what's happening with you know, the fallout from Infinity War and what's going to happen with the fallout from MCU and whether they are going to tie more heavily into that or whether they're going to completely tension off. And I felt like that was kind of one of the things they decided to do is it's like, okay, we're going to leave this a bit more ambiguous. We'll put them in a spot that keeps people talking about it, but we won't sort of give them any more. I mean, the next show is going to be Daredevil Season 3, and then we're not 100% sure if it's going to be another Defenders or what's going to happen after that. I want to see them do Heroes for Hire. Um, I'd really like to see that show, although I'd rather much see a video game of Heroes for Hire. But that's obviously something I said before. But I would, you know, I 
where this is going, I think, you know, we'll kind of find out next year after Infinity War. I have a feeling that that's kind of, or maybe even at Comic-Con this year, if they decide to drop some major spoilers. I sort of feel like they're at that point where, you know, they have to tangent off, either go with MCU or go against it. Before I go into my thoughts, I want to talk about uh, a plot point in the second to last episode. KRS-1 was a guest for Mariah's party, and Sway on the radio was talking about how he was worried about Bushmaster showing up, but it seemed like they all glossed over the whole African Bambata child molestation thing. And then the woman was like, man, I'm so worried about Bushmaster being there, but me, I'm like, you worried about him? But I thought everyone just kind of canceled KRS-One because he was, he didn't, because he kind of gave Bambata a pass for what he did, or he was trying to, to kind of downplay it like mm-hmm. it wasn't a big deal. This is decades of abuse, right? That bothered me. Because we're in this era where even in this this whole show, this, and Twitter around this show was about all these hot takes, right? Luke Cage was trending, he's really great, and then as soon as he you know hits the wall, you see all these tweets, men are trash, or Luke Cage is trash, or toxic black masculinity, and then he shows an arc where he's kind of coming out of that. Then you have Karis One, and no one's really bad an eye about this. Like, uh, it's just, whatever. I don't know, I feel like that's kind of like Karis One is not relevant anymore. <laughs> so like, people don't have hot takes. True. I mean, I saw him, like, when he came in, I was like, oh, sweet, KRS-1. Like, I didn't actually think about all that other stuff just because I was too much, too caught up in what was going on in the show. But now that you sort of mentioned it, now I look back, I was like, um, okay. But also, too, how bad was his performance? Like, watching that performance, he looked like he did not want to be there. He was, it felt like it was, he was just playing a, an auto track in the background. He was just going through the motions. He wasn't smiling. He didn't have any energy. He was like, why did you put him there? There's so many other rappers who would have killed to be on that show. Talib Kweli, uh, you got Yasin Bey or something. Someone cool, someone that folks mm-hmm. would know better than Karis One. But, I mean, how many people on stage were out there smiling? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're expecting them to smile. Like, whenever I see Karis One, I don't picture a smiling Karis One. No, 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 I'm not saying, like, like he needs to be, like, big teeth Karis One. But, like, when Ghostface was doing the show, you could see the energy in his, in his performance. Yeah. Like, he was really getting into it. Karis One, it really felt like he was just, I mean, watch Phoning it again. It he really... Mm-hmm did not want to be there. I mean, it's hard to know what goes on behind the scenes, like sure. whether that was, you know, over long takes or production, there's like 101 things it could be. Because like literally, as soon as Bushmaster showed up and started terrorizing everybody, Karis one literally just like, he didn't even have any surprise. It was just like, he just, yeah, he just, just kind of just walked off the stage. And I was like, this is, why was, why was this here? So my overall thoughts of the show going forward, I... I almost agree with you that misdirect, but I also feel like it may be cyclical in regards to his ego. It may go to his head again. Like, we'll see how his ego is affected going forward now that he's reconciled with his father, too. Like, will he send his father home now, right? He's sent Claire home, but will he send his father home? Missy Knight can't really get to him, but how about family now? What if he bring in Danny? What if he bring in Jessica? Maybe she shows up again, and they have a thing. I'm not sure quite where it's going to go. Heroes for Hire does sound cool. It'd be interesting if they did maybe a half Heroes for Hire, maybe for six episodes in, like, The Daughters of the Dragon for six or something. And I mean, it's something I, like I, we, we could sort of see as, a, like, a half-defenders team-up or whatever it is. I don't I don't even know if it's six and six. I would say, like, a four-episode arc. Sure, like I mean, I'm... episode arc. Whatever, but I mean, not a whole. Something, or, or yeah. even a, definitely not a whole. A Daughters of, of the Dragon um, Netflix movie. 
Sure. Or if it's just it's just like one sure. story that's like ninety minutes long. They or... could they could Buffy Angel it where yeah. they have kind of slightly crossing uh, episodes where they are going working through the same goal and then you know who knows. Uh, well, that concludes the end of our Luke Cage season two discussion. I want to thank my guests DK and Blaze. You can find Blurred Up on Facebook, facebook.com slash B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We're also on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. If you want to email us, yoblurredup at gmail.com. DK, how can they find you? Uh, yoblurredup at gmail.com. Uh, just uh, uh, don't... I'm just not really that that active on uh, social media engagement. So um, anything that you want to say to me, you can maybe Brandon can. Uh, I'll relay it to you. Relay it. Yeah. Uh, all the hate mail can go to. <laughs> Please, how can they find you? Um, if you don't already know, just basically any. My handle is AKA DJ Blaze, and that's across all platforms. All right, dope. Thank you all very much. Thank you for listening, and as always, be you.